0: so we are back in the book of acts and this is where we're going to be now for the rest of the series uh, right up until christmas Um, apart from some guest speakers that we've got who are going to kind of do their own thing um, we are going to just be in the book of acts it's going to take us up almost to chapter 10 so you know around about one third of the way through the book of acts and we're kind of we're doing about a sixth or a third a year so maybe in a couple of years time we'll have finished it But we are in Acts chapter 5. If you've got your Bible, we're in Acts chapter 5, verses 17 to 42. And I'm just going to read my way through it and just stop and make some comments. But just to set the scene a little bit, if you remember, before we took our break for the summer, Phil shared how God was doing amazing signs and wonders through the apostles. There were, I think if I remember rightly, Peter was walking down the street and just his shadow, Falling on sick people in the street was enough to see them healed. You'd like that, right? That is what God can do then, which means that that is what God can do now. Amen? Our God is the same yesterday, today and forever. And I believe that he wants to up the ante. Now, if only it was all glory. We're going to see today that actually when God moves, there's an opposition. There is an opposition. So if we start in Acts 5:17, just bear in mind, they've already been, Peter and John have already been thrown in prison once and then been set free and told, stop talking about Jesus. Stop doing these things in his name. And they said, well, I'm sorry, can't. And so they just crack on. So in verse 17, after these miracles and signs and wonders, the high priest rose up he and all who are with him who belong to the party of the Sadducees. Now, if you remember, you have got two types of um, Jew in Israel at that time. Three types, if you count the community of Jesus that got started five chapters ago. But there are two main types in the Sanhedrin. You've got the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And the Sadducees sometimes get kind of characterised as the liberals, a little bit like the liberal theologians you have today. But actually, they were the ultra-conservatives, They were the ones who said, well, we know for sure that God moved in the time of Moses. We know for sure that God delivered us out of Pharaoh's hands into the promised land. Therefore, we know for sure that we can trust Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Anything after that, they were a little bit sceptical of. So there are things that the Pharisees believed that are revealed in the other books of the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, that... The Sadducees didn't believe. Things like the resurrection from among the dead. That's important a little bit later on in Acts. But they are the ones that are like, well, God did something amazing then. We now have to faithfully remember it. And it's the high priest and all who are with him who belong to the party of the Sadducees. The Bible tells us they were filled with jealousy. Why were they filled with jealousy? Well, I think... They were seeing and hearing of the same sort of power that Moses knew. And they knew they didn't have that same power themselves. That in itself speaks volumes. I think they were also scared of losing influence. And it all comes down to that, right? I think as well that they, there was an element of theological stuff because here they were proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. We don't believe in no resurrection. How can they be having this success? So out of jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. Now they're upping the ante here. If you remember back in Acts 3 and 4, Peter and John were put in the temple jail, but now it's the apostles put in the public jail, not just the private temple jail. But, I love it when the Bible says but, but an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail during the night, brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and tell the people all about this life. See, the Sadducees have given their verdict. Guilty. Shouldn't be doing this. We're going to put you in prison for it. God sends an angel to give his verdict. You're free. Have it. Go and do more. Go and do some good stuff. And you see this God doing this multiple times in Acts. You see it a little bit later on with Peter. Uh, You see it a little bit later on with Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas are chained up. They're in jail. And then uh, as they're praising God and singing praises, an earthquake happens and it knocks their chains off. But bless them, they actually stay in the jail because no angel came along this time to say, go on, get out. The jailer comes along. And he's about to do something really horrendous to himself because he knows what's going to happen if the authority think he's lost two prisoners. And they say, no, 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 we're still here. And they're able to preach the gospel to him and he and all his household are saved. It reminds me of times in Daniel as well. We looked at Daniel earlier in the year. Think about the, the lion's den. Think about the fiery furnace. You know, they were put into those perilous situations because of their faithfulness to God. But God saves them through it. It's worth saying that he doesn't do that every time in the book of Acts. So the book of Acts ends with Paul in prison. And God doesn't set him free. Because actually God's design for Paul is for him to be taken in chains to Rome to preach the gospel there and then die as a martyr. Giving witness to Jesus even in his very death. So this isn't an every time thing. But do you know what? If we can just apply it to ourselves a little bit. There are times we get ourselves in messes because of our faithfulness. There are times we get ourselves in messes because of other things as well. But there are times we get ourselves in trouble uh, because we're just doing nothing more than being a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. And I think God wants us to know that you know he can still do this today. He can deliver us from any trouble that we get into as a result of his name, or not. He is sovereign. But if he's got a plan for you beyond that, then he can set you free. He's still doing this today. Who's heard of Brother Yun? You heard of Brother Yun? He's uh, the Chinese underground church. Um, The book book, um, that he wrote with someone translating it for him was called The Heavenly Man. And there are stories in there of exactly this sort of thing. He was put in prison and because it was God's time for him to go and do something else, an angel came and effectively put all the guards to sleep, opened up every door and led him out. Right out through the front door. There were other times it didn't happen. And his purpose then was to preach the gospel to the prisoners and to see people come to faith in Jesus. But God can still do this today. Any time we read something in the Bible, in the book of Acts, or any other book, that is an invitation to us to believe that God is going to do something. So the angel says, go and stand in the temple and tell the people all about this life. Hearing this, they, now what would you do? Have you just been put in prison for healing and preaching in the name of Jesus? What would you do? good but i mean there's a genuine temptation to maybe have a bit of an easy life right (laughs) i go and hide think about it this is peter peter who when the stakes were incredibly low because they weren't going after any of jesus's followers really denied he even knew him but now filled with the holy spirit they enter the temple at daybreak and begin to teach now we have it very easy in this country, and we don't have an awful lot of courage. I'm not even pointing any fingers. All four back here. I ain't saying we haven't got a look. Oh, no. This is that worries me. <laughs> I, I'll do it like that. <laughs> all five digits pointing right back at me. But do you know what? Persecution. You might think persecution would cower you away and make you think, I can't do it, I can't do it, it's too dangerous. No, persecution increases boldness and courage. That's what we see in the book of Acts. When the stakes are raised, we rise to it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Now, when the high priest and those who were with him arrived, they convened the Sanhedrin, and that includes the Pharisees. So it's about to get a little bit political. And they sent orders to the jail to have them brought. But when the servants got there, they did not find them in the jail. So they returned and reported, we found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing in front of the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Anyone remember Jonathan Creek? Death in Paradise or Beyond Paradise, those TV mystery series where the, the mystery itself is just a conundrum. They've got their very own Death in Paradise style thing. The door was locked, the guards were in front. How is it empty? How? The captain of the temple police and the chief priest heard these things. They were baffled. I love that. They were baffled. Now, if I were them, I'd like to think I'd maybe have the nous a little bit to start thinking maybe God's with them. You know, there's these stories in our Bible, in the Old Testament, what we call it now, about God delivering people. Maybe God (coughs) was with them. And they wondered what would come of this. But someone came and reported to them, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Well, at least part of the mystery is solved. They know where the apostles are. They don't know how they got there. But part of the mystery is solved. So the commander went with the servants and brought them in. Now this is good. Without force. Nicely. Gently. Why? They were afraid the people might stone them. This is part of the reason the Sadducees were jealous. Because they were courting so much favour with the people of Israel if they, they knew, if they tried to arrest them go after him. after they brought them in they had them stand before the, the Sanhedrin and the high priest asked didn't we strictly order you not to teach in his name now he conveniently forgets to ask how did they get out of the jail he doesn't want to know <laughs> he doesn't want to know because he thinks, I suspect he knows actually Didn't we order you not to teach in this name? Look, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Jealousy. Look what you're doing. And you're determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. You know, there's a cover-up going on here. There's an element of spin and trying to maintain their reputation. Because actually he knows full well that he is guilty of the blood. It was the high priest himself who signed the death warrant that took Jesus to the cross. You're determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Is there a bit of a guilty conscience going on in the high priest's head and heart? Now, Peter and the apostles replied, "We must obey God rather than people." And this is important. There is a tension in the Bible between praying for those in authority. Praying for the rulers, praying for those that God puts in power, but knowing that there is a limit after which you say, no, I'm not going to obey you. I have to obey God, not man. When God's commands are resisted by those in authority, we must choose faithfulness. This is on a whole range of issues in this day and age. In almost every single area of ethics and morality, our views, our way of life is being challenged. We must obey God rather than people. We don't have to be mean about it. Yeah? Sometimes we can attract some heat and some persecution because, quite frankly, we, we put things in ways that are deliberately offensive. We don't need to do that. Jesus didn't do that. Except to those that really needed disturbing And he knows people's hearts better than you or I can. So we don't have to be obnoxious about it, but we have to be quietly faithful to what God has called us to be. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had murdered by hanging him on a tree. So he's confirming everything the high priest has just said. God exalted this man to his right hand as ruler and saviour to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. I think there's almost an implicit invitation here. He could have just left it hanging. Whom you murdered? Not saying anymore. No, who you had murdered. Why? To give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. He's saying you can still find forgiveness even in this midst of being put under pressure, under trial. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. They're claiming to have been given the Holy Spirit by implication saying, you don't have the Holy Spirit. And the Sadducees will think, well, hang on a minute. This is the Holy Spirit who was that fl- pa- pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. This is the Holy Spirit that filled Moses and made him a prophet. This is the Holy Spirit that filled the 70 elders and made them prophesy, that filled the craftsmen who made all the precious implements and vessels of the temple under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And you're saying, you've got the Spirit and we don't? Yeah. Because the spirit of God is given to those who obey him. How to make friends and influence people, right? Peter's really trying to wriggle out of this one. No, he's not. He's being a faithful apostle, witness to Jesus Christ. Now, in this next little bit, there are three responses to Jesus um, and what he is doing in Israel at the time. And I want to just bring them out because I think they're also relevant to, to times when God is at work today. When they heard this, the members of the Sanhedrin, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. So the number one reaction to Jesus and the things that he does today can be anger and recrimination. I think Smith Wigglesworth said, your ministry should make people either mad or glad. Well, here, Peter's ministry is making them mad. They wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee, remember, Pharisees believe in a resurrection. They might not believe that Jesus was resurrected, but at least in theory, they accept it. It's possible at the end of the age, we're all going to be raised to life. That's what the Pharisees believed. A Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was respected by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered the men to be taken outside for a little while. He's incredibly political, this man. He said to the men of Israel, be careful about what you're about to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody and a group of about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed and all his followers were dispersed and came to nothing. After this man, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and attracted a following. He also perished and all his followers were scattered. He's citing recent times where someone was kind of pretending to be a messiah, setting themselves up as Israel's deliverer from the Romans and the Greeks and will promise to bring back Israel's glory days. But nothing happened. They were cut off. They were killed. Just withered. So, in the present case, I tell you, stay away from these men and leave them alone. For if this plan or this work is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even be found fighting against God. Now, in some ways, this is a bit better than just getting angry and wanting to kill them. Yeah? I mean, it's a little bit less honest. Yeah? But this is political wisdom. It sounds nice, but really he's just sitting on the fence. His wisdom is no more than, hey, it might be God, might not be, but it might be, but it might not be. So let's just leave them be. We know from recent history that if God ain't in it, they're going to fade out. Leave them be. Now, the trouble is, God doesn't give his spirit to fence sitters, he gives his spirit to those who seek him and boldly say please fill me with more of your spirit gamaliel uh i've got a commentary by a guy called michael eaton who was a missionary to africa uh, based out of uh, westminster chapel for a time as well he calls gamaliel a nice sinner he, he's nice about it but he's still lost because he's sitting on the fence He doesn't have the forgiveness of sins and he doesn't have the anointing of power that the Holy Spirit wants to give him. And people can do that with when God works today as well. People can say, well, you know, maybe it's of God, maybe it isn't. I'm just going to sit back here and just see how it plays out. But then you miss out. Because if God is moving, sitting back here, silently watching and judging and trying to see if it meets your standards of godliness isn't how you're going to benefit and be blessed by God. It isn't. They were persuaded by him. The whole of the Sanhedrin, persuaded by Gamaliel's wisdom. After they called in the apostles and had them flogged, well, they were sort of persuaded by him. They'll not kill them, but they'll still give them a jolly good hiding. They had them flogged and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, because that's worked so well every other time, right? Mm -hmm. They've proven to be so compliant and obedient to the Sanhedrin. So they flog them, they whip them, they order them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they release them. Then the apostles went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name this is the third reaction to Jesus and his work. Whole-hearted devotion to Jesus. Come what may. Come what may. They ignore the Sanhedrin every day in the temple and in various homes they continue teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. I just want to finish with a couple of questions. One, one, how would we handle threats and persecution? I may have said this before, but I was a bit of a hardcore teenager. Before I understood the grace of God, I was very, if you're not giving all out for God, then you're just wasting your time. And you know what? We've got it so easy. I'm actually praying for persecution to come to wake up the church. That's how I was as a teenager. I don't know if I'm wiser or just more cowardly the older that I've got. I don't welcome persecution. But you know what? It might be coming. As, as the West gets further and further away from the roots of our culture and our society, and as we stand more and more faithful to Jesus, please, Lord, I pray, will be coming. How are we going to handle it? Hopefully, we will find that persecution increases boldness and courage, just like the apostles found. That we won't be cowed into hiding away, but that we will be emboldened and empowered and anointed by the Spirit to stand faithful and firm and true, because Jesus is worth it. Second question I want to ask is how should we pray for the persecuted? I've been in some prayer meetings where we've prayed for the persecuted church and the number one prayer is, oh Lord, would you stop the persecution? I'm not convinced that the persecuted church want us to pray that. It's not what I see in the Bible. When I see Paul talking about this trial awaits me, pray that I will be faithful Jesus talking to the church in Revelation saying, You have not yet resisted to the point of death. Our prayers for the church in places like China, in places like India, in the Middle East, where it is illegal to convert, and so people that come from the Muslim faith find life in Jesus, have to meet undercover, in secret. Because if they were ever found out, it would be. I think the way they would want us to pray is that they would know much anointing, they would know much courage, and they would know much faithfulness. Because you see, the apostles rejoiced that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. Any time I've come across some heat as a Christian, I've been a little bit offended. I've been a little bit, why are you being like that? I'm not being harmful towards you. If I'm following the apostle's example, I should have said, you know what, Lord? You suffered at the hands of the world. And I'm just being counted worthy to suffer along with you. To share in the fellowship of his sufferings, Paul says in Philippians 3. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Why? Because Jesus is worth it. Amen? Jesus is worth it. He who laid his life down for us. He who took our sins upon the cross. He who carried that cross, scorning its shame down the streets of Israel, stripped to a loincloth, if that being jeered, being mocked. It's what he did for us. It's what he did for me. We don't know persecution in this part of the world. We have a freedom that parts of the world, parts of the church in the world, could only dream of. Maybe not waste it. There are people that need to hear about Jesus. And at the moment, we have a freedom to share it. May the Holy Spirit fill us with love and compassion and courage so that the lamb who was slain receives the ward of his sufferings. Amen. Amen.